Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I am Joe Wolfond, and believe it or not, I am not joined by Joseph Cacharo today. He's on his way to Denver to cover the first two games of the NBA Finals in person. But fear not, I have a replacement lined up. And it's very serendipitous, actually, because longtime listeners of this podcast will know that every time we hit a centennial benchmark, we like to bring back our former co-host, William Liu. And today happens to be our 300th episode. So rejoining the show, he was here for episode 100, he was here for episode 200, and he's here again for the tricentennial, William Liu, now of Sportsnet and the Fan 590. But today, once again, an honorary Pound the Rock co-host. Will, welcome back, man. Wow, what an intro. I mean, you know, first and foremost, um, I don't know if it should take 100 episodes always to get me back, but um, I'm honored whenever I get this chance. And yeah, I mean, I just think it's really cool. Like the fact that I still remember when we started this thing and like, you know, it was kind of just like we, I wouldn't even say we didn't get a lot of support, but it was kind of like, fine, if you guys want to do a podcast, go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't work there anymore, so I can say that. But it's like, you know, and it, it was really just a situation where um, we wanted to sort of like grow our voices, our audience. Um, I thought there was a good opportunity there and like just, you know, seeing you and cash um step forward and, and translate i mean you were always like an excellent writer and seeing that like carry over to the podcast game too it's uh it's been great it's been great plus it's you know great content and 300 episodes is, is nothing to scoff at so congratulations to you two man i appreciate that man and you know that we have both been following and admiring your work as you've moved on to multiple different stops now since yeah. leaving the score and ptr and obviously we guessed on your Raptor show from time to time. And it's always a pleasure. And it, not only is this serendipitous because we get to have you back for episode 300, but we get to do it while previewing the NBA finals and mm. also sorting through some Raptors adjacent news. And obviously I do want to head coaches again. Look, I, I want to start the of this show. episode talking about Nuggets heat, but I've okay. got you here. Okay. I got to give a shout out to Cash, who is not here to take his own victory lap, but he called this shot back in March, I want to say, nurse to the Sixers. And mm. so we've just been putting that out there into the ether for the last like three months, basically. And it has finally come to fruition. So Nick Nurse and Philly, man, I, I need to know what you think about this new marriage, how you think the stylistic fit is going to go. Is it a good fit for the Sixers? Is it a good fit for Nick Nurse? What do you think? Um, first and foremost, why would you put this evil notion into the world? Because you know this is bad for basketball in general, all right? Um, the amount of complaining <laughs> out of Philadelphia is <laughs> just going to be at an all-time high, man. Uh, what, because no, of the ref nagging? or? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, look, look, I'm putting aside that kind of um, that stuff. No, I, I, think it's, I think it's a good fit. I, I mean, obviously... Um, Nick has the prior relationship with Daryl Morey dating back to their time in Houston. And it was interesting because, you know, there's Nick is a very well-publicized person because um, he literally even has a biography. And I remember reading that biography and, and he, he talked about his time in Houston where um, Daryl Morey had the idea at that time. This is probably like 2010, 2011. He's like, hey, man, I have this crazy idea. Like, we're not going to shoot mid-range anymore. We're only going to shoot threes and layups. 
And can you, as a coach, this is my challenge to you, and I'm going to hire you for my G League team if you do this, um, can you implement an offense, can you implement a defense, and can you sell the players on that? And Nick said yes, then made that work, won that championship at the, at the D League level at that time. And that really kind of launched um, his entry into the NBA because before that he was mostly coaching in Europe. So there's definitely a built-in trust factor between him and Daryl. So it's not too surprising that uh, that's where he landed. It is also kind of funny because when he kind of soft launched his exit from Toronto, that just happened to be in Philadelphia pregame where unprompted he brought up. He's like, yeah, you know, I might not be here anymore. You know, uh, 10 years is a long time. I got to sit back, sit back and reflect. And so it is kind of funny that he's ended up exactly in that position, but um, on, on, in terms of as a stylistic basketball fit, I mean, it, it's it'll be interesting to me because a lot of what Nick did in Toronto was so connected to the roster that the Raptors had, and it was a very unique roster, right? So a lot of like the the full court pressing and a lot of like the the pretty much doubling the ball constantly, um, you know, a lot of the zone defenses that probably works a little bit better when you have the the roster the Raptors had in terms of you know no center until Jakob Pertl came. Um, a lot of six, eight interchangeable wings who can switch a lot. Then they had Fred, who they kind of had to account for and cover for because he's shorter. And I'm curious in terms of how some of those strategies might port over to Philadelphia, where he has a very different roster in terms of just who's on the team. But um, at the same time, you have the confidence knowing that, like, okay, well, this the last two years of the Raptors being sort of positionless, that's not how they've been previously. Like when they won the championship, they had a very, very traditional starting five, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka at center. Um, Pascal is your classic four. You have Kawhi is your three. Danny Green is a two um, with Norm backing him up. And then Kyle and uh, Fred sharing the backcourt um, at point. That's a very traditional lineup. And that kind of looks a lot closer to what Philadelphia has. And based on those kind of, um, schemes he was still able to make it really work so i think nick is clearly more creative on the defensive end than he is on the offensive end um i think offensively for philadelphia they could probably use some help but realistically we kind of know it comes down to joel and we'll see if james harden is there but if it's he's there then it's pretty much those two and and, and maxi sort of playing off the catch but defensively i think philadelphia has another gear to go to with nick there and i know last year they did a, or this past season they did a lot of zone with Doc Rivers, I, I can only see that kind of expanding even further in terms of the way Nick likes to coach. He likes to have a primary base defense and then like three or four alternate defenses to shuffle between. And with Joel Embiid protecting the middle, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities you can go with that. Yeah, that zone was actually really effective for them at points, I thought, and a good way for them to hide Harden and kind of avoid having him at the point of attack. Like you sort of stash him on the back line of your defense where He's actually a little bit less exploitable. Mm-hmm. And I thought that worked for them. I do expect to see that. In general, I think it's interesting because of how different the personnel is and because for me, like one of the biggest questions I always have about pretty much any coach when it comes to how their teams play is like how much of this is being dictated by the personnel and how much of it is the coach trying to imprint their right. philosophy onto the roster. And I think the best coaches are the ones that, I mean, you obviously want a coach that has strong principles and an idea of like how they think basketball, you know, should be played and some ingenuity, but they need to be adaptable with those principles and mm. be able to bend them and sort of stretch them to fit like the specific group of players that they have. And so I'm very interested to see how Nick's defensive principles specifically, which 
you know, if you have that question, like how much of this is Nick doing this because he believes it's the way to play and how much of it is just being dictated by the roster, I think he answered that on your show to an extent when he said pressure is his philosophy defensively. He mm-hmm. thinks that yep. that is like a vital component of defense. So Philly is not a team that's played a pressure defense really no. uh, at any point in the Doc Rivers era. They're not a team that's looking to force a ton of turnovers. They play a more conservative style with Embiid usually playing in a deep drop. He can switch out a bit. He can come up to the level like he can do that stuff, but that's not typically how they use him and not really how they play. And I think in terms of just like taking those principles and maybe adapting them a bit, it's like there are ways where you can play drop defense and still pressure the ball a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, like still show a lot of help in a drop, still bring a tag when you're playing a drop, like still show a lot of bodies and overload the strong side. There's a lot of different things you can do within these kind of base schemes to spice them up. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like in Philly. Cause it is a very different group. And in terms of like the stuff you mentioned, you know, like playing a full court press, man, if James Harden's there, I don't know how uh, jazzed oh, he's going to be about playing a full court press, just getting him to run back in transition is a big enough challenge. So uh-huh. I, I mean, honestly, if Harden's there and I don't know whether this hire says anything about, their belief in Harden coming back or whether it changes anything in that regard. But I'm almost most interested in that stylistic fit and potential stylistic clash between nurse and James Harden. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting too, because after doc was let go and obviously Harden gave that very, I I mean, it wasn't a ringing endorsement of doc. Let's just say that after uh, they lost in seven to Boston, Um, there was an opportunity to bring in a coach Harden, loves which is mike d'antoni and then they ultimately mm. choose to go in that direction um maybe and, a, he, and a coach that daryl morey loves by the way oh yeah exactly right so that seemed like a candidate that would have really fit in this kind of scenario i'm not sure how much joel Embiid would have loved playing with mike d'antoni i just don't remember a lot of like post-up bigs um looking that great but listen joel is so talented he could have played in any system um yeah with nick i think the personality fit is going to matter a lot too right because i think um you know, this past season in Toronto, there was a lot of like accountability issues. You could sort of say that to the, that's on the players, but I mean, ultimately, you know, that's kind of on the boss of the team too, right? So I, I do wonder, you know, how that's going to play in Philadelphia. I think the the locker room is probably decently strong. There's like a more of a veteran locker room in the first place, and so I don't think Nick really has to step in too much and sort of be tough on the players kind of thing. But he's definitely not one of those kind of guys, except for when he does it in the media, which. Hopefully he doesn't do that as much. I think Philadelphia media is already kind of like pretty used to back and forth exchanges. And I think that that, that comes down to man management. Um, the one player I'm looking to see like really take a step forward is, is, is Maxi because I think Nick is a really good defensive coach. And right now I think there's so much like hiding of Maxi and hiding of Harden defensively. But can you challenge them? Like if, if you're going to pressure the ball, Maxi's the guy to pressure the ball. Right. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of what his physical skill set is. But right now, that's not sort of been his. And his PJ. I'm, I'm assuming and, and, Nick and, is going to really enjoy having PJ Tucker on his team. For sure. PJ Tucker, you know, the, the way he's always like, he, he's, he's a stop and frisk type of defender. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm sure Officer Nick will love that. But no, but um, sorry, that was just one time he played as an actor. But um, yeah, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think that's. For me, like that's where Philadelphia's improvements can really take to another level. Offensively, they're kind of limited based on what they have, um, and they have a lot. Um, but 
I think defensively, that's where, you know, when the Raptors won the title in 2019, like that's that's how they won it was was based on really great defense. And listen, I understand Joel doesn't necessarily want to move around that much or he maybe prefers to play in a deep drop. Maybe in the course of the regular season, you do that, but you mix in a couple of coverages. That's what Nick does really well is he practices these things during the season and it comes time for the playoffs or even in an important game in the regular season, he might pull something out that's new. And if a 34-year-old Marcus All can, you know, come up and, and show against Steph Curry and, 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 the, and the Warriors, I don't really see why Joel couldn't do the same thing, um, especially when asked to in sort of more of a limited thing. And I think that maybe the other question is just like how many minutes are guys going to play? I think that was a big complaint in Toronto. But, I mean, I don't know, man. I, no, I, I figured it out, man. This is a, they found the solution to the Embiid-less minutes. Like the crisis that they've had for pretty much every year Embiid's been in the league. The answer is just to bring in a coach who's going to play Embiid 47 minutes a game. There mm. you go. Problem solved. I mean, I, yeah. You know, I did see some Philadelphia reaction of like, you know, Nick is going to come in and play the young guys. Like, I hope those young guys are ready to play defense because if you don't, you're not getting on the court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe there's more b-ball fall. You never know. Yeah, I don't know if those uh, Sixers fans watched the Raptors this season or have tracked the uh, development arcs of Malachi Flynn and Delano Banton and pretty much any other young player that needed some reps to shake some cobwebs off the last couple of years. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, Jaden Springer is going to be seeing the kind of minutes bump that those fans expect, but I suppose we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Embiid is not, you know, defensively the one that I would be sort of concerned about being able to like pick up yeah. Nick's defensive principles or sort of, like he's a, he's a genius defensively. Like he'll be able he to really fit pretty much any scheme. I think to me, it's more about like we know we saw over the last few years, right? The the way that Nick wants to play defense and pressure the ball and overload the strong side puts you in rotation a lot. So my question is going to be if he is kind of insistent on continuing to play that way, Mm -hmm. like can the Sixers survive being in rotation that often? Because that's where I'm like, man, you know, like James Harden making those rotations, you know, Maxi, Tobias Harris, it's just not really the same in terms of speed and length and defensive acuity as some mm-hmm. of the players that he was coaching in Toronto. And even those Raptors teams struggled a lot, I think, with the amount of ground they had to cover and the amount of oh, yeah. times they found themselves in rotation. Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different thing when you have, like, a roster in Toronto where, you're, like, you could essentially switch any matchup between OG, Scotty, and Pascal, and if Precious was on the floor with them, which happened quite a bit, then there's another guy you could switch everything with. And not just switch everything, but Nick also liked to really trap the ball. And, you know, his... You'll see it with opposing star players. I mean, obviously, Joel Embiid understands this more than anybody, but we've seen KD talk about it. We've seen uh, other stars just you know comment on the fact that Nick is not going to let me play my game, and, and you're going to see two defenders. James Harden knows that better than anybody. I remember when the Houston Rockets were on that incredible run. I think they like won, like I don't know, like 18 straight games or something, and James came to Toronto, and, and the Raptors essentially double-teamed him and trapped In him. In the backcourt. Yeah, yeah, in the backcourt almost, which is kind of nuts. They played that way the whole game. And, and the Raptors ultimately were close in that game, but they lost. I, I believe Ben McLemore might have hit like yeah. seven threes. Oh, yeah. Um, Him and Daniel House open. hit like 15 threes between the two of them. I remember that game extremely well. Yeah, th- th- so that's the kind of stuff Nick is on. So you you, you better get you get, you get better get ready to learn Peloton, buddy. Like it, it, it's going <laughs> to 
you know, sorry, I see one in the background. So, um, yeah, I, and I mean, from like the Embiid side of things, I feel like he's like come out and straight up complained. I feel like about the defense that Nurses Raptors would throw at him, just like seemed yeah. outwardly yeah. aggravated by it. And now uh, I guess he won't have to deal with it anymore. Like that's the maybe, maybe the that's why they hired him. They're like, all this. listen, I don't really care who comes as a coach, but I just don't want to play against Nick anymore. Get him. No, there but I, I think I think the other thing too with with Nick is the players are going to get a lot of freedom offensively. Yeah. Um. And so I think that's where the Sixers players are going to enjoy playing for him offensively because they're going to get a lot of freedom. Like. Nick is not a guy who's going to call a set each time down the floor. He might call a set after a timeout, but other than that, you're kind of free to play however you want, but you do have to show that commitment defensively to get on the floor in the first place. So, no, I think it's a good hire. Like, I think especially in the playoffs, that's where his ingenuity comes through a lot more. I think you really when it becomes really tactical and everybody's really locked in and focused, um, you know, that's where I think he can make the difference. Like, he, he's he's like a sicko, man. Like, if you're a Sixer fan and, and, you're, and you want to understand how much a sicko Nick Nurse is, um, the Raptors played the Brooklyn Nets in the 2020 bubble. And, you know, no one remembers that Nets team. That, that was, they, they, like, signed Jamal Crawford specifically to come to play in the bubble and then didn't even play him, which seems irresponsible during a global pandemic to do that to somebody. Um, but regardless, like everybody was injured for that team, KD, Kyrie, even Joe Harris was in and out. Um, and Nick Nurse in one of those games used seven different coverages just against Karis Levert. So, like, yeah, that that's that's what you're getting. Like, you're getting somebody who will put in that kind of effort to stop opposing players, even if they are Karis Levert. Uh, and in terms of like the offensive point. I think lacking that structure didn't really jive well with a Raptors team that didn't have a ton of off the dribble creation and probably needed a little bit more structure than they had mm-hmm. offensively. I think it will work well with the Sixers team that yeah, for sure. can thrive with, I mean, they're just going to have like a lot of built in stuff that they can go to. Yeah. You know, side pick and roll with, Harden and Bede and Maxi is spaced out on the weak side wing, you know, like mm-hmm. ready to attack off the catch or like beat a nail help close out. Like any of that stuff is just like kind of automatic. And obviously like, it, I mean, again, this is contingent on Harden being back, but it'll be interesting to me to see Nick is going from a team. And I know the Raptors sort of ramped up their pick and roll usage when Pirtle came over at the deadline, but yeah. one of the most pick and roll averse teams in the league to one of probably the highest usage pick and roll teams in the league with Harden and Embiid there. So mm-hmm. I, I was going to, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting whether or not the Sixers want to press and win the uh, possession battle the way the Raptors did. I, I, I did a, mm. I wrote a season in column about the Raptors and I was like, you know, I remember a lot of games where the Raptors like took more field goal attempts than their opponents. So I, I did like a thing where I was just like, let me just take all the field goal attempts attempted and also defended um, for every team in the league. And then I sort of charted it out. And, like, it's kind of what you would expect. Like, most no, most teams are around, like, zero, you know, and it's like a normal curve on the graph. And then when it got to the Raptors, who were number one in the league in terms of taking more shots from their opponent, they were, like, number one with, like, 750 extra shot attempts than their opponents. Number two was, like, I forget which team, but it was, like, 300. You know what I mean? Like, the Raptors were literally off the charts in terms of how much they chased the possession battle. 
and again, this might be just be personnel versus whatever, but I, I I do know that with Doc, he was kind of infamous about like let's give up the offensive glass so we can get back. Nick again is the polar opposite. Yeah, twenty sixth in offensive rebounding rate last year were the Sixers, and and they had a, and then they had a beat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and PJ Tucker um, who was actually really and, good at crashing from the corner. There you go. And uh, again, they're, they're actually their defensive turnover rate was higher than I would have anticipated. Uh, they were like mm-hmm. butting up against the top ten. But the Raptors have been, I want to say, top two for like the last four years yeah. in a row. So, yeah, I, I agree. I'll be interested to see whether they sort of try and um, impose those same uh, principles in terms of winning the possession battle. Because they're like, their margin in terms of total true shooting possessions over the last two years has been like historic. Like some of the, some of the craziest... Yeah possession advantages that we've ever seen and we know that they kind of had to do that just to like cobble together something resembling uh you know a a functional a functional offense you know first and foremost the Sixers don't necessarily have to do that so I think he can afford to scale some of that back because there are downsides to trying to reverse engineer a possession advantage in the way that the Raptors did uh chasing it in the way that they did you wind up giving a lot of stuff up so I wonder, you know, if he'll recognize that, like, that can still be advantageous for them, but maybe we don't need to chase it to the same extent. Yeah. Uh, do do you have... Uh... There'll be so much complaint. Sorry. But no, go on. Go on to the <laughs> next point. Sorry. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Adrian Griffin in Milwaukee or... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of similar. I think they just wanted to hire Nick, but without, you know, hiring <laughs> Nick. Like, <laughs> it, it seems like by all accounts that... Uh, Griff actually beat out Nick for that job. Like, I don't really buy this idea that he just pulled out of it. But, no, I mean, I, I think with Griff, like, you know, the profile in Toronto was he is the defensive coordinator. And, you know, I would say that um, either he learned a lot from Nick or he sort of enhanced a lot. Obviously, there's a partnership, so you don't really know who did everything. Um, but definitely you bring some of that creativity to the Bucks, And I think that the Bucks could really use more of those coverages like I think the Bucks are really talented and special defensively but I think Bud was and he became more open to the you know as the years went on but like he has a base defense it's so good and you know he just destroys everybody like the analogy I always make is like Bud's defense is like having like a hundred mile per hour fastball like you're throwing that past most hitters but eventually you got time to the playoffs and there's guys who just come up there and hack off every single pitch and you got to have another you know counter or probably two or three counters and that's where i think griffin could actually take them to another level defensively just by introducing different defensive strategies to milwaukee that i just didn't feel like they were always that creative defensively you know yeah they i mean i agree in the sense that like they sort of just had their bread and butter and they returned to it time and time again but I think where Milwaukee really needs help is on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I'm not yeah. really concerned about their defense. That's I think fair. they're pretty well set there. And yeah, maybe like a little bit more adaptability would help. But ultimately, like, they got to get their half-court offense sorted out. Like, that's where they have fallen short mm-hmm. much more often uh, in the playoffs. But is that a personal issue, do you think? Or do you think that's a coaching issue? I think it's a bit of both. Probably leaning more toward the personnel side, though. Like. Okay. I, I just think in terms of like they've never been an especially good passing team uh, yeah. in terms of off the dribble creation. Obviously, Giannis can do it like for a guy his size, like you 
you know, there are not many guys who can do it better than he can at, yeah. you know, pretty much seven feet tall, but he's really at his best playing more like a big man within the offense, you know, like mm-hmm. on the role, like being a kind of lob threat and a rim runner and not necessarily having to initiate possessions, especially not at the top of the floor, like dribbling into a wall of bodies or yeah. having to kind of go to that spin move that by this time, like everybody knows is coming and is sitting on. Like, I think having more guys around him who can create advantages for him was always going to be the most beneficial thing. And like when they won the championship, they did that by having him lean into more of like his big man skill set, I think, than his kind of playmaking forward skill set. I do think it's it's tough. Like at this point in time, do they have enough of that with like this sort of diminished version of Middleton and Holiday, who I think is like a good secondary creator, but when he's asked to be a primary, he's overextended. Yeah. The shooting is kind of average. It's there are things but, that, yeah. that Griffin is going to have to work around, but I do think that it was both like it was the personnel and also maybe like a lack of creativity in terms of how that personnel was used a lot of times uh, at the offensive end. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm just thinking about it and it's like, maybe these GMs are just thinking like, look, we can't necessarily improve our offense that much. It's quite expensive. It's probably the, the hardest thing to trade for. It's definitely the most valuable thing. It's definitely well paid. So you can't necessarily fit in the salary cap, but we can probably change our defense mm-hmm. and maybe that's what Milwaukee and also Philadelphia were thinking. I also just think Milwaukee is just, they're just old, man. It's just like everybody in the rotation walks in and then they're 30, you know, and, and that's not to disparage both of us in our thirties, but like, right. you know, we're, we're not playing NBA basketball. Um, and they're, they're just, I, w- I would love to see some more moves, but they've also exhausted a lot of their future, you know, assets to sort of, get things done. They don't really have young draft prospects that you feel like are super valuable. Like maybe they're intriguing and another team takes a flyer, but yeah. they're not. Well, with up- Milwaukee, especially right. Like at least Philly has maxi like in terms of like kind of young players to dream on, like players mm-hmm. who you could see ascending to kind of complement the star player and keep this thing going yeah. for like another few years. It's a little easier to see it in Philly than it is in Milwaukee where you've got, the uh, the three core players around Giannis are all on the wrong side of 30. Mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez, 35, Middleton, 32, and coming off of that knee surgery that seemed to take a lot out of him. Holiday, 31, yeah. I think. Um, or maybe even older than that. I was going to say, you might be older than that. You might be 32, was, 33. But yeah, they're... they're... Andre Godala in Philadelphia, man. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so I think... With Milwaukee especially, what they're chasing is like just the most marginal of marginal games. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because Bud was a really good coach, like a fantastic yeah, regular season coach. I say it all the time on this show, like one of the best, if not the best macro tacticians mm-hmm. in the league right now. I think what they're hoping is like, whether it's offense or defense, it's like, can we find that extra like 1% where in the playoffs, maybe it's that one adjustment mm-hmm. that Bud wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have thought to go to or would have been too stubborn to go to, and that tilts one game and that changes yeah. everything for us. Like Those are the types of just like marginal sort of advantages that they're looking to find, I think. And I, you know, I, I can't speak to 
Adrian Griffin's coaching acumen, I always find it difficult to judge when it's assistants because you don't know who on what staff is responsible for what and, and how much of his coaching philosophy is tied to nurses and how much he has his own philosophy. Like, I don't really know. We're not going to know, I guess, until we see it in action. But yeah, I think that's sort of what they're what they're after is maybe just like a little bit more adaptability and outside the box thinking that is going to help them find that extra 0.5% when they really need it. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a couple of things is, is working for him. Number one, it seems like he gets along with people. Um, I think players definitely have in, in Toronto, like have had no issues working with Griff. Um, you know, I think that's, it's pretty, it's pretty telling that Giannis is like, yeah, I like, I, I, it seems like that was his pick or the guy mm-hmm. that he resonated with the most, right? It seemed like that process, they had a whole bunch of people go out to see Giannis at his house in Milwaukee. And it's, it's a little strange. <laughs> it's a little strange sometimes <laughs> thinking about NBA players. It's like, just imagine like interviewing your boss at your house. Like who's really the boss at that point? But um, yeah, it seems like, you know, he's a good personality fit. And yeah, I, I also wonder for Bud, like, there's a lot of coaching vacancies, but you haven't heard Bud's name with any of them, have you? No, uh, I do think that's interesting. And I don't know how much of that is like him wanting to take a step like back and maybe time, take a year. He had a tragedy uh, especially, in his family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, after, you know, the way that his Bucks tenure ended and the personal tragedy that you alluded to, like I could totally see that coming from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I could also see it coming sort of from the rest of the league being like, uh, you know, if you're looking for like a fresh, new, exciting hire, yeah. as great a coach as I think Bud is, I can understand a team being like, even though I think, you know, especially for a team that is like looking to find an identity mm-hmm. and and maybe like change their play style a bit or like figure out what the best play style for their mismatched group of players is like, I can't think of a better candidate than bud to come in and sort of like rearrange things and and make it make sense like that's what he did in milwaukee that's what he did in atlanta before that but i i don't know we just saw him sort of like flame out in the playoffs for not the first time with Mm -hmm. milwaukee and i think maybe it would be a tough sell for a front office to a team and a team's fan base to hire him uh, so soon after that so i don't know whether that's him or whether that's the market kind of dictating that yeah i mean the only thing i would say is like I mean, it's not like anyone's winning the press conference hiring Doc Rivers, but you still see, um, <laughs> you still see him closely associated with Phoenix right after he got let go once again. So. Yeah, but also you don't know how much of that is like his people behind the scenes putting that out there. Who are either. his people, like, man? Who are his people? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's far, he, who, who, who represents the... him. Like C- CAA or I, I, I don't actually remember. Like... Who. I thought most coaches represented by Warren Legary. So I thought it was like mostly one guy who does most of these things. So I, I, I don't really know. I, I think maybe it's just players like playing for Doc. That's that's probably just it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Let, let's leave all that coaching stuff behind mm-hmm. us. We'll take a break here in a second and come back and talk about the finals. I guess I'll give you a couple of minutes if you want to talk about the Celtics and maybe what you think... Uh, the next steps for them look like because I know there's been a oh. lot of a lot of fear mongering, a lot of doomsday type of thinking about how they really need a shake up and yeah. this team's not going anywhere. Jalen Brown needs to go, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you that's all a bit overblown. You, you've seen Kevin O'Connor's timeline. I, I, you can say it. His answer to everything is blown up, which is <laughs> it's, it's quite funny, man. 
yeah no comment yeah. but uh, okay, i think um, that's my guy kevin that's okay yeah what do you uh what do you think about where the celtics are at and where they go from here look the, there's always um a knee-jerk reaction to like throw everything away i think maybe it's just like mentally people can't like wrap their head around I believed in this team. They made me feel bad. They made me look stupid. And now I, if I accept this team once again, it just makes me look extra stupid, you know? And instead, it's easier to be like, we need to change everything. We need to sort of reject it all. Like, this isn't even throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, there's, there's like an entire human in that tub, man. This, 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 the Celtics are an amazing team. They have a lot of talent. They've consistently added more and more talent to it. And no, they didn't win. But like, unless you're telling me you're getting rid of Jalen Brown for an upgrade, right? And I don't know, like maybe you call Portland and say like, would you give us Damian Lillard for, for, for Jalen Brown? That's going to kind of challenge trade. I maybe would explore a little bit. Obviously the ages are quite different. And, um, you know, I, I guess you would have to find out a couple other things in terms of how to fit your Dude, roster. Portland's, we can just nip that in the bud right now. Portland's not doing that. They're not trading Dame Lillard. They, they have been given this Bro. gift of the third overall pick and they're going to trade it so that they can upgrade their team around Damian Lillard. They are so wedded to him. They're not going to trade him for Jalen Brown. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like a reasonable front office would take that call and and explore it. I mean, if you were running the Portland Trailblazers, I'm sure you would think about it, but like, unless you're giving me one of those kind of upgrades and I really don't see stars available this summer that are better than Jalen Brown, like you're probably going to run the team back. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Like, you know, I, I think for them, there are a couple of like final steps hurdles that they need to get through, right? Obviously, they've already been to the finals. They lost there, right? They, they've lost a couple of really close series. This year, I think in the playoffs, a lot of games slipped away from them. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. game one against Philadelphia. I'm thinking about game five against Atlanta, game four against Atlanta. Like, there's like just a couple of things that they needed to do better, but like, I still believe in the talent there. I think fundamentally, you just got to find a way to make it work a little bit better. You know, and, and I probably, if I were them, I'd spend all summer practicing against zone. <laughs> Sorry. like <laughs> Some ball handling drills, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to see Jalen Brown, like, you know, how sometimes you walk around Toronto and you just see kids, like, you know, in a full Nike tech. And and then they're just dribbling the basketball, going nowhere. They're probably going on like seven eleven to get a like a big big gulp or whatever. Like that's that's what I need to see Jalen Brown's energy on. Just like take the ball everywhere, man. Annoy your neighbors. Walk around. You hear that little point 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 like nonstop. Like that's that's what we need from from Jalen because the talent is there. Like I, I I would not blow this thing up at all. I run the whole team back. Yeah, and this is the question that I'm pondering and that I would put to anybody who thinks that they should. You know, whether it's blow it up or just like shake up the roster in some form or fashion, fire Joe Missoula, whatever you think the answer is. As currently constructed, are the Celtics not like the very clear favorite to win the East again next season? Or at the very least, are they not better constructed than any other team in that conference to continue to make deep playoff runs for like oh, the yeah. next three or four years? Like what what juggernaut is rising up right now that they're like, oh man, we better shake this up or we're like They've made five conference finals in the last seven years, man. Like yeah. they, they, they just won fifty-seven games, had the best net rating in the league, and came up one win short of the finals. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how you can look at that and not think that it that it's a winning formula. They and were listen, up two-one on the eventual champs in the finals last year. Yeah, 
and I'm sure Celtics fans are like very frustrated. It's like, what can we do? Like, how do we avoid this next time? It's like, oddly enough, you're not even trying to avoid this. You're trying to actually repeat this. And then with a couple of like improvements now, of course, like yeah. that's not to say that those improvements are just automatic. Obviously you have to find the right improvements and all that kind of stuff. I'm sympathetic towards that, but like you guys are so you guys are not even spoiled. You guys are just really well treated. Like you have a lot of talent here. It makes a lot of sense. I, I do worry a little bit about like, can you get another big in the front court to support Al Horford? Because I thought the later it went, that's in the what playoffs, they won. Yeah, he just he just started getting he just lost his legs. Um, he's also very talented in terms of just like the things that he does. It's not the exact skill set that he has in terms of stopping Joel Embiid um, and also being able to space and, and and the leadership qualities. Those are hard to find another player. I'm sympathetic to that, but definitely get a little bit more support in the front court. Maybe Grant. I'm not even sure. What do you do with Grant? Like, why did he follow the? F- I, I remember you came on the show last year. We had a disagreement, yeah. and I'm like, Grant Williams is he the next Patrick Patterson? And you're like, hell no, he's so much better than Patrick Patterson. But then, like this past season, it was like, where where was he? You know, like why did he fall out of favor? And then I, I don't really know. I I never quite understood why that happened. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think they have the bones of a really good team, and you know, yeah, you just. Just practice against zone, you know. I mean, it's it's funny because you you talk about the talent on paper, but it's like, well, then Miami had started playing Caleb Martin, and he turned into like genuinely one of the best wings in the league somehow in this series. So, but like, what are you supposed to do with that? Like, look in the mirror and be like, man, we will never beat Caleb Martin. Like, why even try? <laughs> like, shit happens in the playoffs sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. You're right. But yeah, there's no but, unless you're making a huge improvement, like a clear cut yeah. improvement, and you're training Jalen Brown for that. I just would take the team and just keep going with it. And I'm not even yeah. so much worried about the financial aspect of it. Like there's enough, the team is talented enough that I'm willing to pay the luxury tax just to even run this whole thing back. Thousand percent. Uh, and I know, like, if we're talking about you know Jalen Brown supermax and the the new lead apron in the incoming CBA, then that could get tricky. So that's something they're going to have to wrangle with. But I think they're a little bit over a barrel with him. Like they kind of just have to give him what he wants, I think. And I think he'll still be tradable even on a super max deal. But if we are kind of throwing out fake trades involving Mm, him and we're looking to bring in a point guard, what do you think about this one? Okay. Uh, Jalen for Darius Garland. Jalen for Darius Garland. Okay. Interesting. So now you have a downhill threat. Now you have a, now you have a lead playmaker. I think the terms of the passing, Huh. That's interesting. On top of all, like the pull-up shooting and the driving that he gives you, right? For sure. And and I think with Cleveland, I feel like Darius Garland's a little bit overstretched in terms of they need him to score more than not even that he's capable. He's definitely a capable scorer, but I just think that the passing is clearly the best part of his game. Um, definitely quick, gets downhill. It's interesting because I think my only hesitancy is just like the whole league is moving like away from small guards towards big wings, and so you're kind of bucking that trend but i'm struggling to find a reason to say no you get younger too which is not you're not a concern with jalen brown but you do get younger yeah. i would say cleveland's cleveland's much more likely to say no to that than boston is in my really? opinion man because yeah. jalen brown would really fit in nicely what in terms of what they need on the wing yes yeah hmm. i have to really think about that one but we're we're fairly close i think that's interesting. I think that's that's the move. That's the one I'd be circling where I think it's plausible, makes sense for both teams. Mm-hmm. Barring that, 
I think Jalen Brown remains the Celtic and they remain a really good team. And if we're going into next season and everything looks the way that it does now, it's probably the team that I'm picking to win the East. So yeah, uh, no overreactions necessary. Uh, they just lost to a team of destiny, man, uh, a team that we're going to talk about on the other side of this break that Can't is going wait. to the NBA finals to uh, face its stiffest test of the postseason yet. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, it took us about 40 minutes, but we have finally arrived at the intended purpose of this episode, which is to preview the NBA Finals. The Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets, another one seed versus eight seed matchup. Mm. Miami just looking to, to slay another giant. They've been doing it all playoffs long. Can they do it again? My immediate instinct is to say no, but man, has that been my immediate instinct this entire playoffs, and man, do they keep Uh proving me wrong. I don't know what to think or how to feel about this team anymore except to say that nothing is off the table. So I can slice it up any which way and explain all the reasons I don't think that they're going to win this series, but I am sure they will find some way to make me look foolish. Uh, But I do want to start here. This is kind of like the angle that I took to write about this series today and the one that I've spent the most time thinking about because I think it is sort of like, I still think about Miami as a defense first team, even though their offense has been crazy good this postseason. Mm -hmm. And obviously the defining feature of the Nuggets is their offense. So Denver's offense versus Miami's defense is I think going to be kind of the central hinge on which this series is going to swing. And... I guess I'll ask you off the jump in terms of, I mean, we know the the heat defense is this sort of very adaptable organism, right? They can do a whole bunch of different things. We know Spolstra is going to throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks and they're going to change it up. And the, the flexibility is a big feature, but I'm thinking about all the different things that they did to beat the Bucks, to beat the Knicks and to beat the Celtics. And I'm wondering if any of that can really work against Denver. Yeah, Denver does not seem like a team that you should throw a zone against. Um, They have a lot of good movement shooters. They have Jokic in the middle, who is a much better zone bust. Like, you know, like watching Boston, like, oh, Miami's in a zone. I I suppose we'll bring up Rob Williams for another screen and pick and roll and drive it literally one step in and then kick it out and hoist the wing three. Like, that's not trying to find Horford in the middle of it, which is not the same as having Jokic in the middle of the zone. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, on paper, I'm just like, I don't conceivably see how effective zone will be against um, Denver. Maybe they use it against Denver's bench. Go ahead. Like, I feel like Denver's bench, you could solve with a lot of defenses, right? But, like, you know, that, to me, does not seem like it would be super viable. I'm sure Spell will find a way. Uh, I mean, I think the whole idea is, like, you know, how do you stop Jokic? And I think the only thing you could really do is just stop him from catching the ball and... Maybe this is just because I've been covering the Raptors and my default mindset is like, what would Nick Nurse do in this situation? You know, and, and Nick would probably do something crazy. Like, you, you take Jimmy Butler, he 
put him on Jokic. He would front the post and try to deny passes over the top. And as soon as he catches the ball over the top, bam, would rotate over and essentially wedge him. And, you know, Jokic's touches are up in the playoffs right now. Um, I think he was at 98 per game in the regular season, which already led the league. Now it's up to like 115. So that's probably just a function of minutes play, but it also feels like he's so much more involved in everything. And yeah, if you can just stop him from getting the ball, I think that's probably the only way you can really do it. And, and by the way, that's there's a lot of counters that you can do against that kind of coverage, but definitely starts with stopping Jokic. I think, I think other things that Miami have done defensively, it'll be interesting because um, you need size to guard against Jokic, but also at the same time, he's really good at pushing the break. And so if your size can't get back in transition, like I'm thinking like, Okay, maybe you bring Kevin Love back into the fold, right? Because that's that's what happened towards the end of the series against the Celtics. Kevin Love didn't play in Game 7. Um, Cody Zeller didn't play in Game 7 either, right? Like, maybe yeah. you introduce some of those guys. But if they can't get back in transition, then you're getting you're getting cooked. Denver plays at such a great pace. Like, you have to stop them in half court, and they get out on the break so much because of Jokic. So, on that front, I just don't really know. I also feel like for them, like, Denver has, like, a decent amount of size where – Guys are able to shoot over the top, like Jamal's going to be able to shoot over a Gabe Vincent, for example, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to use Jimmy elsewhere. You know, there are small guards for Jamal to shoot over the top, Kyle Lowry, for example, as well. Um, and then I think even on the wing, like, the, you know, they'll probably stash like a Max Drews or something like that um, on like a KCP. But, you know, he's got good height. He can elevate to shoot. And then, of course, Michael Porter Jr. can pretty much rise up and shoot over most players. So I I just feel like Miami looks a little small in addition to the fact that, like, they're going to need to be able to stop Denver both in full court and in half court. So, ah, man, I don't know. Like, this will be the most impressive Spo coaching job yet, I think. Yeah, if he's able to pull this off, I will kneel at the altar of of Coach Spo. But I I guess, yeah, I'm, like, thinking about how Miami – kind of got across the finish line in that series against Boston, which was mm-hmm. Kevin Love, you're out of the rotation. Cody Zeller, you're out of the rotation. Max Struess, hey, Gabe Vincent. Come on down. Yeah, Struess, Vincent, we're going we're gonna to live with switching you onto pretty much anybody. Duncan Robinson, we're going to play zone pretty much every single defensive possession that you're on the floor. And suddenly, like, all these automatic two on the ball scenarios that Boston had that they were playing out of mm-hmm. for the bulk of that series. And especially when they started to make their comeback, we're gone. And it was yeah. Miami switching everything and Boston suddenly having to, you know, play in isolation a lot. They wind up swinging the ball around the perimeter and settling for like some pretty well contested threes. And I just don't know if you can get away with any of that against Denver. Like you mentioned, they were the best zone offense in the league this season statistically. Jokic mm-hmm. like a one-man zone buster. Yep. And like all the movement shooting, all the cutting that they have, they're mm-hmm. like designed to dice up a zone. I just yeah. I, I agree. Like when Jokic is on the bench, I'm sure we'll see Miami zone up a lot. But <laughs> that'll be a Jokic lot of zone for floor, those three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> with Jokic on the floor, I just don't think it's it, it's tenable. And then yeah. in terms of the size, yeah, man, Bam as an undersized center can survive against pretty much anybody in the NBA except Nikola Jokic. And, I mean, you can try and do the thing where you just see how he fares in single coverage and dare Jokic to be a scorer and just try and focus on not letting anybody else get going. Mm -hmm. The Suns tried to do that 
uh, with DeAndre Ayton. I know DeAndre Ayton's not the defender that Bam Adebayo is, but they tried to defend Jokic in single coverage, and Jokic averaged like 35 points on 66% true shooting in that series. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that's viable. Bam and then, a little bit small for that coverage. I'm not to say Bam is not an all-world defender. Obviously, he is. We've seen that in this playoffs, but I don't know, man. You need a lot of No, he will get, get cooked. He'll get cooked in single yeah, coverage. He, he, yeah. So then I'm thinking, okay, we saw, obviously, the Lakers with, like, Rui and sometimes LeBron mm-hmm. stash a bigger forward on Jokic while having Anthony Davis provide the backline help while roaming off of Aaron Gordon. Yep. We've seen a bunch of different teams do that. We talked about this on your show, I believe. Like, the, we've, we saw the Raptors do that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with OG guarding Jokic and Pirtle helping on the backside. Uh, we saw the Sixers do it with P.J. Tucker and Joel Embiid. I think this is pretty well established as maybe, like, if you have the personnel to do it, maybe the best defensive tactic against Jokic. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Miami has the personnel to do it. A, because I don't know if they actually have the big forward who can kind of... You're not stopping Jokic with anybody, let alone, you know, like a forward, but at least, like, providing some resistance. Mm -hmm. And Butler could maybe do it in spots, but I think that's asking a lot of him considering how much he's going to have to do on offense. Yeah. I think Caleb Martin ultimately is just too small. Yeah. Uh, I think some people have suggested Kevin Love, but, like, if you put Kevin Love on Nikola Jokic even if you think that he can kind of hold his own in the post, the Nuggets are just going to pick and roll him to death. Like they're mm-hmm. going to put him in ball screen action over and over and over again. That's not viable to me. So I'm thinking maybe like Haywood Highsmith is the only one I can think of that is like, okay, that might make some sense. Oof. But then I don't know. Can you live with having Haywood Highsmith on the floor for like 25 minutes and like his offensive limitations, maybe hurting you at the other end? I don't know. And then the other issue I have with that is like, dude, Bam is an amazing defender, but he's not Anthony Davis, right? Like his yeah. special defensive skill is his lateral agility and his ability to switch onto basically anybody. He's not some like imposing rim protector. Mm-hmm. So if he's playing that role of Romer, I just don't think it's going to have nearly the same impact as like an AD or even a, even a Jakob Pertle for that matter, right? Like it's right. just not the same. So I don't know if that strategy works for Miami either. Uh, so in terms of like guarding Jokic and specifically in screening action, like just going back and watching their regular season matchup, really it was just drop. Like that's what mm-hmm. they were doing. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's not a great option, but it might be the best that they can do. Yeah. And I think, you know, where you have to maybe catch Denver is like, can you hang a whole bunch of points on them? Because they're definitely not like they're, they're fine defensively, but you you also can really get into a position where you're scoring like 120 against them. Um, we'll see if Miami's three point shooting holds up. Feels like you should run a lot of pick and rolls at Jokic. Maybe this is just from like watching Steph do it, and obviously you just can't like imitate having Steph. But like that's how teams like that have been able to get past them and. Don't really get the sense that Miami has that many pick and roll options, but you never know. Like Gabe Vincent can really chip in here or there and, and he can get hot or, you know, Kyle can run a mean pick and roll where he throws it to Cody Zeller a hundred percent of the time. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love Kyle, man, but why every single time, man? Um, 
you know, Jimmy could obviously run to pick a role. We'll see if Tyler Hero comes back. I feel like he could actually, I feel like the Heat could actually re- really use him in this scenario. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, this is all just Jokic. This isn't even about like Jamal and, and, and what he can do, right? And Jamal obviously has been right there with Jokic in terms of that tough shot making. We obviously saw so much in the Lakers series, but it's like, I don't know. Like you could also play really great defense and all of a sudden Jamal Murray like just kills you. You know, and and that's yeah. the thing that makes Denver so so tough. On top of that, they they have home court advantage, and they've just been sitting at home for ten days, chilling. Yeah, so haven't lost at home in the playoffs. Yeah, and and I think you know it's interesting because for Denver, their strategy, their, their whole thing is just like we're gonna be win the first two at home. You're gonna have pretty much no chance to catch up to us because we're gonna play so damn fast, and you're gonna get so exhausted in the altitude. Now we're up 2-0, and listen. Maybe we'll go on the road. Maybe we'll lose one. Maybe we'll lose two like they did in Phoenix. But, you know, ultimately you have home court advantage and that really comes in and factors in too. So my only thing with Denver is like if they get one injury, you know, their rotation gets super short. It's already fairly short as it is. Um, if they get even one injury and you never want to see series come down to injuries, but it, it happens. Right? Game seven, you know, Tatum twists his foot like right away. Um. I, w- I do wonder in terms of, like, what other options Denver can go to. I also think that they should probably play some of the more athletic guys. You know, like, i play more Christian Brown than, than Jeff Green in this series against a small, quick team like Miami. Interesting. Yeah, because, I th- like, they've been playing Green and Gordon together basically anytime Jokic is on the bench, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. I think their answer has been, okay, we're basically going to play without a center, but we will collectively still have enough size because we're, we're going to play Gordon and Green. Sure. And so I wonder if against a smaller team that doesn't really have any good center options behind Bam, maybe you do kind of want to live with, uh, yeah. with with just Gordon as like the sole, if you want to call him a big man even, but like the true center in those, uh, you know, jokic lineups and throw Brown out there beside him instead. I think that's, that's interesting. I also, you know, in terms of like just Denver's transition game and teams not being able to keep up with them, mm-hmm. I do feel like Miami might be the best team to actually run with them a bit because okay. I don't know that there's a better conditioned team in the league than the Miami Heat. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think, you know, obviously they have those infamous stories about the body fat and all that kind of stuff, but. I think that one of the biggest keys is you just can't chase the offensive glass in Denver. Like, if you go for the offensive glass and you miss it, you're literally giving up two or three points on the other end, guaranteed. Yeah. So I see a smart coach like 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 Spo just abandoning that to a large degree, because again, you have to play with concessions when you're against a great team. Like, you can't just do what you would typically do. Um, and I think the tricky thing with Miami too is like the the type of teams that they've been able to beat. Um, they, they do a really good job of stopping you from going from the perimeter to the basket. Like, they just throw so many, like, like if you're imagining that as Mario Kart, like, there's just all sorts of bananas on the ground and, like, spikes and all that kind of stuff. So like, the fire flowers. It's just, like, just all those booby traps if you try to drive from the three to to the rim. And Jalen Brown could tell you all about it. Exactly, right? Um, he finished last in that race for sure. And it's, like, with Jokic, it's just, like, yeah, we're going to bypass all of that. <laughs> we're just going to throw the ball to him. <laughs> And he's either in, 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 even in the high post, he's dangerous, but low post, obviously, he's dangerous. And they also space you on top of that. So I think for, for Miami, it's sort of like, okay, maybe you, you do what you can against Jokic, but what can you do to silence some of the other guys? And I think that 
for Miami's game plan, you're going to need to really slow down Jamal. Maybe you put Jimmy on Jamal and you really lock him down that way. I could see that. Yeah. Right. Obviously, it's a little difficult because Jamal plays two man game with with Jokic. So, but let I me mean, again, Jimmy Butler is one of the best defenders in the world. Point blank. Period. He can maybe handle you know um, stopping Jamal. I also think that like Bruce Brown has been such a big spark plug for them. He's just like really quick and athletic and goes end to end and plays physical and there's like a real moxie about his game. Um, he plays bigger than he is, but you know, I think Miami does have guys who can sort of match up with him. And if you do that, then you can, you know, get things a little bit uglier. And I think that's where Miami always shines in those ugly games. But I don't know, man, Denver's just been so impressive throughout the whole playoffs. Like it's hard to see them tripping up at the very end, unless it's like injury related. Yeah, Jimmy on Jamal was sort of the thing, the matchup that interests me the most, or the potential one that interests me the most. Because if you're doing that, and then, then I wonder. A little bit. Then I wonder if maybe switching is on the table to a certain extent, and you, you know that at the very least, Jimmy is going to fight tooth and nail for position on the backside of that switch, probably front, and you know at least work to deny, and sort of see how that goes. That's relatively interesting to me as like a potential counter to that two-man game because the dropping that they did during the regular season, I just think with the way that Jamal is playing and specifically the way that he's shooting right now, yeah. I just don't know you if that not. if that is viable. Um, not to mention, like even if you're dropping, like Jokic can still kill you with like short roll jumpers and floaters and pick and pop threes. Like there's, there's a lot yep. of counters that Denver has to that. So... If they want to go to switching, I think obviously you have to have somebody, whether it's Jimmy Butler or Haywood Highsmith, somebody with a lot of size on Murray so that they can survive the switch onto Jokic. I I don't know how often they can do that, but that is potentially a card that they can play. I guess then I'm thinking, okay, if they're using Jimmy Butler in the Jamal Murray matchup, we're talking about a huge size advantage for one or both of Gordon and MPJ. And for MPJ, we know that means he's just going to be able to shoot over whoever's guarding him. And in Gordon's case, it's like he can, he'll, he'll duck in, he'll put whoever's guarding him in the basket. Jokic will find him. You talk about like the Nuggets sort of bypassing all those booby traps on the way to the basket. Like mm-hmm. Jokic just being able to throw the ball over the top to yep, Gordon, like way. having a guy sealed under the basket is like a pretty good way to bypass all those roadblocks and, and just score at the rim. So that's where like the, the sort of size disparity across the board, I think is going to be a big issue for Miami to try and scheme around. Yeah. I, I don't see as many charges being taken quite frankly. <laughs> and, and that, that is that that's heat culture. If you, if you really wanted to sum it up in one play, but I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is I, I do. Miami's been so tough and so resilient. And I think more than anything else, like, it's hard to sort of they're, they're like a counter puncher or like a, you know, like you don't fully know what they're going to do and they really adapt themselves to the scenario. So I, I trust that Spo one or two games of the series figures out a couple of things. And, and I, I do think he has the coaching advantage over a guy like Mike Malone, but I don't know. I think the, temp, the, the, the talent is just going in Denver's fashion. Maybe you steal game one just because like Miami has been playing essentially life or death basketball for the whole season and, and Denver's been chilling both in the regular season and also now towards the last round. But I don't even know. It's, I don't, until I see a team actually win in Denver, aside from Denver, you know, I'm going to, ha- yeah, I'm going to have to see it. So it, it, it's, yeah, but it's, I feel it's, that's the same way about the heat. It's like, until I see a team actually beat them, part of me is just going to feel like, 
I don't know. Heat devil magic can't be can't be tamed, can't be conquered. It's no, like, I, I get that, and and they they do so well in terms of exploiting your weaknesses, right? Like they don't just like try to throw the punch that they want. They're always just like jabbing you in that one spot that you're a little bit sore. I just I don't really see where that is on on Denver's side, especially when you can't defensively like slow them down. Like so, I, I wish Miami was a little bit bigger. That could really, you know, make things a little bit more even. But I, I kind of see Denver winning this in five. I hate to say it to to the Heat, who have done so well. Maybe just on account of the Heat culture tax, I'll say um, Denver in seven. But I think in my heart of hearts, I'm expecting five. I don't know about you. Yeah, I would say, and I said the same thing about the series against the Celtics. So. I'll say it again. If I'm just well, playing this out on paper, out they were a little bit unserious, and I, I yeah. trust Denver to operate as a team implicitly. Yeah. And I do think this is like this is a slightly better matchup for the Nuggets, even on paper, than it is or was for the Celtics. But what I said about that series, and I'll say it again about this one, is like if I'm just playing it out on paper in terms of like the matchup and the matchup advantages that I see swinging Denver's favor, I should pick them to win in five. Mm-hmm. But knowing what I know about this Heat team and having the respect that I have for them as a postseason team, I got to give them at least another game. So I would probably take Nuggets and six. Okay. Um, I'm sure they want to celebrate the championship in Miami rather than Denver. <laughs> true. Uh, but I guess, so we talked a lot about the the Heat trying to defend the Nuggets, but is there anything specifically in terms of the way the Heat might be able to exploit Denver's defense. Like, I, I guess my big yeah, question sure. about this is, in terms of Denver's pick-and-roll defense, their base scheme has been for a while having Jokic play up at the level. Mm-hmm. We mostly saw them have him in drop in that Lakers series. The Lakers don't have a ton of pull-up threats. They're more a team that you worry about driving to the rim. Where do they land against Miami? Because normally I'd say, yeah, you drop against Miami. They don't have a lot of pull-up threats either, but they've been bombing pull-up jumpers this entire postseason. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think Jokic is going to continue to come out, you know, and show. I think what's tricky about Miami is obviously all their off-ball movement. Yes. And I think they're going to have to try to win a battle of attrition, which is always always hard to do in Denver, but you kind of have to involve Jokic in a lot of actions, try to tire him out thing with Jokic is his endurance has been one of the standout things of this whole playoff run. This guy can push and and and, and lead the break nonstop and get like 10 rebounds in a quarter. Like, this stuff is crazy. You can't do that without great endurance. But kind of have to involve um, Jokic in a lot of off-ball actions. Um, put him in a pick and roll quite a bit. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, the tricky thing with, 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 with that is just like, I think Miami can score – on Denver, I don't think that that's too much of an issue for them. But unless your defense actually slows down Denver, Denver will just straight up outscore you most times. You know, and it's not like gimmick basketball. It's not like I need the foul call to be one way or I need this one matchup to be exploited. Like they hit you in a different variety of ways. Um, but I, I do see this as a big opportunity. Like obviously they're going to need th- those guys to step up, like whether that's like Duncan Robinson or Max Struess. I think the good thing with Miami and the way they built their team is just like if a guy's cold, they don't have to play them. You know, Max Drews gets cold. It's not like okay, we're living and dying off Max Drews suddenly. It's like no, we we have we have Duncan Robinson at home. Like we can just just go to him. Um, do they in this but, series though? Like if Denver is making zone completely untenable for them, do do the Heat have Duncan Robinson in this matchup? 
I mean, but then again, you look at it, it's like on paper, Miami should be hiding a lot of players defensively based on how yeah. small they are. But they don't. So I think either way, those guys are going to have to play. You know, like they, yeah. they're just going to have to play. And I, I don't think you can really outscore Denver. But then again, the times that you've seen them even marginally sweat, like in, in the Phoenix series, for example, like those guys were straight up just outscoring them. And of course, I don't think anyone in, in with all due respect to Jimmy, like nobody is on Devin Booker's level as a scorer on on that side. But you, you kind of have to hit them in that way. And I don't know. I'm I'm really hoping for a competitive finals, but I do see one team is clearly better than the other. Yeah, this is what makes Denver so tough. Is like they really do force you to play your best defensive lineups. It's like we might see a ton of Haywood Highsmith because they just need yeah, it in yeah. order to have any chance of defending Denver. And then suddenly it's like the ways in which you could see them potentially putting a hurting on Denver's defense aren't going to be as impactful because they have these like offensive negatives on the floor that they need to play in order for like, and and it's like the same, the other way, if you're thinking about Tyler hero coming back, you're like, man, having Tyler heroes shot making as like a drop counter is going to really help our offense. But then, wow, is that another place for Denver's offense to attack? You know, it's like you're always making those concessions where I just feel like the, the challenge of trying to keep up with Denver's offense feels a little bit too great to me. Yeah. And and that's and we're just talking half court. Like I think in transition, that's that's where you know you. I don't even know if you can really limit their transition opportunities, but you Miami has to like they have to sell out to to keep them out of transition. So yeah, just a damn good, just a damn good team, man. And and listen, if Miami somehow steals this again, I I gotta say like Eric Spolstra masterclass. Like he's already literally one of the top fifteen coaches on that list or whatever. But it's like a legacy thing. It's like when Steph won the t- title last year, everyone was just like all right, fine, we can finally crown Steph as one of those goats. And it's like, well, clearly he was already at this level before, but when you when you see him do it against a team that is on paper better than them, like, you, you get more respect. And I don't know, I suppose that's what Miami's run this whole time. But I, I really do think that, like, what they do well is, like, take charges, show two, play zone, and they do such a good job of preventing you from driving. And that's the thing with them. It's just, just throw it over top to, to Jokic, then he throws it over top again, and then you look stupid. <laughs> Yeah, Denver, uh, I think they were like close to last or maybe even dead last during the regular season in drives per game. And they're dead last. They don't need to. They They don't drive. (laughs) That's not how they, like, it's literally just outside in passing, right? Like on on cuts. That's how they get to the basket. It's not that they don't get to the basket. They just don't necessarily dribble there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. No, it's interesting in this matchup too, because you you have both um, Jokic and Bam. And obviously Bam is on a very, very inferior level offensively. But, you know, these, these like, Playmaking fives who can run a lot of dribble handoffs can you know hurt you know mismatches can hit those short mid range jumpers. Obviously, Jokic should do more than that, but like you know that kind of offense, the the fact that you're seeing two of those square off in the finals is really interesting to me because it's like there's elements of Golden State with what they did with Draymond um, in that as well. And I don't know. I mean, like you're you're not really seeing like one guy attack from the wing and, and everyone else clears out like the LeBron style offenses of the past in Cleveland. Like it's, it's a very, very different style. And maybe this is just the way the league is going. It's like you have these playmaking fives that can really do everything. Not to say that everyone's going to become Jokic in the future. That'd be great. I would love to see basketball look like that, but it's not going to happen. But um, I don't know. Maybe this becomes more of a thing where it's like dribbling is less important. Like maybe your hezzy hezzy tweens are less important <laughs> than like throw it into the post and then cut back door at the right time. 
Yeah. Well, I do think it's notable that both these offenses do that, right? Like they both have a lot of off ball activity baked into their offenses. And I think that's, I mean, just having things going on on both sides of the floor, like being able to engage weak side help, you know, so that you can run like the central action you want to run and whatever decoy you have going on on the far side is like taking the help away. Like stuff like that Mm -hmm. is so important. I think Denver does that better than anybody. I mean, Miami does it really well too, but like their shooters just aren't quite as dangerous. So it's not as effective, but that's something I think both these offense do an exceptional job of is just, they use both sides of the floor. Like there's very little standing still and everybody is always a threat to, to make a play, whether it's coming off a screen and hitting a shot or cutting back door. Uh, you got to be aware of everybody at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, but like we've been saying throughout this <laughs> this segment, uh, I do think that ultimately Denver has more weapons. So that's why I'm picking them to win in six. And what did you, you settled on pretty much the same thing? or okay, uh, I, I got Nuggets in five, man. I, I feel bad because I feel like I picked against the Heat in every series except for the Knicks one. But yeah, yeah, I, I just don't see a way around it. But I, I trust that Spo is a genius and he will find some sort of way. Like <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe he busts out like Udonis has him or something. Like, <laughs> I've been speculating that Udonis, despite him wearing team gear, is not actually wearing a jersey under this this zip-up hoodie. So we will see. Maybe if that theory holds true or not. But um, look, I'm just hoping for a competitive basketball. And I think that's the thing with Denver. They have also won a lot of close games. It's not like teams haven't been competitive with them. My Phoenix was fairly competitive with them. The Lakers were competitive with them in a lot of those games. So I expect the same for Miami. But I I do think ultimately they're kind of – I mean, it's not like they're the team of destiny. It feels like Miami is the team of destiny, but they just, to me, are clearly the best team in these playoffs. So, Yeah, uh, two potential teams of destiny meeting to determine who the true team of destiny is. Uh, right. We will find yeah. out in, I guess, about two weeks' time. But game one is going Thursday night. Can't wait for that. I think that's all I got for you, Will. Thank you so much for coming back on for our 300th. Of course, man. Um, any uh, any party shots? Anything you want to plug before you go here? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, go listen to the Raptor show. Um, you and Cash are on it, like, whenever Alex wants a day off, so fairly often. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, no, seriously, it's, it's just really beautiful to, to see, you know, uh, both of you guys continue to grow in your careers. And Cash being at the finals again, like, man, put some respect on Cash. And this, he's he's probably close to like ten finals covered. Like he's he's been at a lot of these things, right? So um, I'm looking forward to. I'm sure at some point you will call him up, um, maybe in a Denver hotel room or something like that, and you guys will break down game one or game two. And um, but uh, yeah, either way, it's just 300 episodes is is really a, an impressive milestone. So I will see you in another hundred episodes on on this show. But in between that, you will find you and Cash on on, on the Raptor show. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that the vast majority of our listeners are familiar with this already, but uh, you and Alex do an unbelievable job covering the Raptors and various other aspects of the NBA. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's always a yeah, wonderful we're, we're listen. The only show I was talking about Anthony Carter recently, so. There you go. If that isn't a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. Um, so for any of our listeners who, for whatever reason, are not listening to the Raptors show, Go and rectify that immediately, especially for the episodes that Cash and I are on. But uh, for now, let's put a bow on this one. I will be back with Cash. I'm not entirely sure when. We're going to try and get an episode in after game one. I'll see if I can link up with Cash while he's in Denver and look out for uh, 
surely some great content that he's going to produce by being oh, on yeah. the ground there. Uh, I think he's probably doing media day stuff as we speak. So uh, kudos to Cash for being there to cover this stuff in person. And uh, we will talk to you all soon. So for an absent Joseph Cacharo and for our dear friend, William Liu, I'm Joe Wolfon, Pound the Rock. Oh,